a Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show on RacerXOnline.com. With your continued support of our sponsors, we have surpassed 1,000 podcasts delivered with over 7 million downloads. Click that Amazon banner on Pulp MX to help us out and donate via Patreon if it suits you. And as always, enrich your moto lifestyle by working with the sponsors who support us. The original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host. Steve Mathis. Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Racer X podcast. It's by Alpine Stars. Appreciate it, everybody. It's been fun. It's been a good ride. Uh, at flyracing.com, please check them out. The 2018 stuff is out now. Uh, Blake Baggett, Weston Pike, Trey Kennard wore the Fly Racing gear to many victories over the years. And uh, flyracing.com, please prepare, pr- progress, and perform with Fly Racing. And also to the A-Stars uh, protection line. You know their boots, Tech 7s and Tech 8s and Tech 10s. And then uh, they have a whole line of protection products that go underneath your jersey, underneath your boots, underneath your pants. Uh, Alpine Star Protects, please check them out. So, yeah, Donnie Schmidt. I I didn't know Donnie at all. He passed away before I started came before I came down into the industry to work as a mechanic. But I did meet Donnie. I want to say the fall of '89. He came to some podunk Fargo, North Dakota arena cross that I used to race uh, every single year. They had either one or once or twice uh, once or twice a year. They had these races in a barn. It was so much smoke. It was unbelievable for sure. A health hazard. But uh, one year, number nine on a Honda, Donnie Schmidt showed up. I was in the 80s. Uh, Might have been B-class. I'm not sure. 89 would have been right around then. And Donnie Schmidt shows up with number nine, the guy from, you know, the the, the 125 Nationals, um, the guy, the Supercross champion, everything else, the guy from Minnesota. He drove up to Fargo Arena Cross, and he absolutely just smoked everybody, won every race, every main event, collected a bunch of money, and then and then went away. And I didn't really have an interaction with him. I didn't get his autograph, but I did talk to him for, for something. We almost ran into each other, and I said, uh, good riding, man. He said, thanks, man. Appreciate it. And then he just kept walking. And I was like, yeah, that guy seems cool. I did talk, see him talking to a bunch of different people over the weekend. And, uh, he was in this Aerostar Astro van and, uh, he was a real cool guy. Seemed like it anyways. And as I'll explain in this podcast, me being from Manitoba and him from Minnesota. And at the time, no one was from Minnesota outside of Tommy Binokin. Donnie was incredible, and he was from eight hours south of me, and he had a lot of snow, just like I did, riding, and he, you know, to make himself uh, a known rider back then was really, really cool, and um, wasn't many guys from Minnesota doing much back then, and of course, Donnie, uh, real eclectic career, went on to win some uh, a Supercross title, went on to win Nationals, went on to win 125 Supercrosses, never really rode 250 Supercrosses, as a matter of fact, Qualified for seven 250 Supercrosses, got a career-high fourth in 87 in Tampa. But uh, just as you'll listen to here, you'll you'll l- listen and find out that Donnie wasn't comfy 
indoors and uh, decided to uh, pack it in indoors and uh, go on to uh, ride the 125 Nationals as a privateer and did pretty well and then go on to win world championships. So I don't know. I really wanted to find more out about Donnie Schmidt and I would love to claim 100% of this idea, but I can't. And I also can't give any credit to the guy who emailed me saying that he wanted to know more about Donnie Schmidt and he wanted to hear about Donnie Schmidt because I deleted his email and I cannot find his name. So I apologize to that guy, but he tipped me off and started me thinking Donnie Schmidt, started me thinking, reaching out to some people who worked with him and knew him personally. And uh, so I want to thank that guy. Sorry again, I deleted the email. I don't know your name, but that guy really got things going for me. So I want to thank uh, everybody who contributed to this uh, podcast. Um, might do a part two also. There's a couple guys I couldn't quite reach out uh, with, but um, we'll try to maybe do a part two of Donnie Schmidt memories. Or if somebody, if you have some, and, and maybe email me using the contact form on PulpMX, and we can do a, uh, a part two with people who have uh, some incredible Donnie Schmidt memory stories. Uh, sounds like a hell of a guy. Sounds like a, a real determined amazing trainer somebody took things very very seriously and um yeah it was uh taken from us too soon for sure without a doubt i remember i was at the minneapolis supercross uh the day after he passed away uh just in the stands as a fan and they had a moment of silence for him and everything so so thanks to uh davy coombs and mitch payton and pete fox and bobby moore for contributing some stories about donnie talking about what he was like Talk about his career, talk about some great rides and and everything else. And thanks to you guys for listening. Appreciate it. Fly Racing Racer X Podcast presented by Alpine Star Protects. All right, everybody. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, so kick off this uh, Donnie Schmidt Memories uh, Fly Racing Racer X Podcast. Going to hope to do one of these with uh, Mitch Payton and Bones Bacon and, and maybe Bobby Moore and a few other people. Uh, a guy that uh, I met once. Uh, racing in Fargo, North Dakota, and an arena cross in 1989 when I was a kid, and he had lost his factory Suzuki ride and uh, decided to pick up some Hondas. And uh, from Minnesota, me being from Manitoba, not far off, and I uh, really thought I'd try to get to know the guy that is Donnie Schmidt. Um, and uh, what better person to kick this off, this Donnie Schmidt uh, podcast memories, than uh, Davey Coombs. What's up, DC? How are you? Uh, I'm good, and uh, let me just begin by saying that I'm absolutely honored to be bench racing about uh, Donnie. He was uh, easily one of the most interesting, uh, certainly one of the most driven, and, and also one of the hardest to get to know uh, athletes I think I ever knew in motocross. And uh, oh wow, okay, quite yeah. quite a story. It's amazing. Uh, a hotshot team green kid, uh, winning races, picked up by Suzuki, winning supercrosses and nationals, loses a ride, privateers it, and then becomes a two-time world champion. Um, yeah. What do you mean by hardest to get to know, though? Let's, t- let's, go, let's go back. <laughs> well, what do you mean? There's a, there's a few gaps in there, and, and that's exactly what, what makes Donnie's story so, so interesting and compelling. And let me begin by saying that I, I can't tell you the first time I met or saw Donnie. I know when we raced together, like in 1981 at the Mini Nationals in North Carolina. But uh, I can remember the first time I remembered him, and it was 1983, mm-hmm. 100cc class at the Lens, three motos between three guys, Jeff Stanton, Fred Andrews from Ohio, mm-hmm. and Donnie Schmidt. And they took it, the three of them, to the last corner, which is the same last corner that uh, 
has been there forever. And uh, anyway, Donnie didn't win. Stan uh-huh. won. And Donnie was just fighting mad. And, uh, but only in himself. And, uh, and that's another guy you got to get in on, on this is Jeff Stan because to this day, and you're, you know, Stan's a guy who won six major titles, yeah. all kinds of GPs and Little and stuff and so on and so forth. And Donnie went on to have literally a Hall of Fame career. And uh, Stan laughs about that 100cc photo <laughs> uh, and, and remembers it vividly. And then, um, you know, after that, he, he just became one of those one of those outstanding Team Green kids, like you mm-hmm. said. He was, yeah. uh, he was a Loretta Lynn standout. And, and uh, right in 1985 and 86, when the 125 Supercross series started or, or the regional program got going, guys like Bobby – I'm sorry – uh, Rodney Barr, mm-hmm. Eddie Warren, Jeff Matasevich, uh, Chris Coleman from New York. Uh, suddenly, those guys had you know a, a reason for being and a place to go. And out of that sort of scrum, man, here came Donnie Schmidt, mm-hmm. and uh, you know uh, Kawasaki saw him early. The Fox brothers saw him really early, and. You know, he was a head-to-toe Fox guy. Every chance he got in his career. Yeah. And um, he, uh, you know, you would have thought, especially, you know, after he gets picked up by Suzuki in 88, that uh, he was going to be sure. you know, quite literally, literally, you know, and we, we're still dealing with the Rick Johnson. And um, you would have thought that Donnie Schmidt, not Mike Kodrowski, not Mike LaRocco, but, but 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 definitely and not Jeff Emick. Yeah. But definitely Donnie Schmidt would be the guy that would be the rival to Damon Bradshaw. I mean, we we thought that was the future in 1988. Yeah, absolutely. When you look at his career, he was able to win everything. Now, part of the lore of Donnie Schmidt, and maybe you don't know this, or maybe you do, you can help us out. Is I heard he didn't want to ride Supercross anymore in '89. He just did the Nationals. Is that what happened? Yeah. That is not that is not the lure. Okay. Um, in 1988, the Suzuki 125 Supercross team, if I remember correctly, uh, was Todd DeHoop, Donnie Schmidt, Keith Turpin. Uh, they'd already been through Healy and Moore. Mm-hmm. Willie Surratt. Uh, the you know guys who won races, big name guys. Uh, Ronnie Tishner. And, and, and Suzuki didn't necessarily have the best bike. And, and Donnie, who was a phenomenal tester, he, he, he knew what he wanted. He knew the kind of bike he wanted. He knew the power he wanted, the suspension. And this is, this is before anyone had private supercross tracks or anything like that. He just knew what he wanted. And he didn't feel safe on his bike, especially after Turpin okay. had a career-ending Injury at the same Pontiac Supercross that Todd DeHoop got sucked into the back fender of his bike, and 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 it just sort of crystallized in Donnie's head that he didn't want to ride Supercross, and and he was he was always vocal, like like vocal, you know, you, you don't think of Minnesota guys as guys who will just yep. tell you the the, the thing that they. Uh, um, uh, whatever comes on their mind, yeah, whether yeah. it's the yep. right thing or the wrong thing. But, you know, when they get mad, like when Ryan Dungey got mad, Ryan Dungey would tell you exactly what was on his mind. Yep. Well, Donnie told Suzuki and sort of the powers that be uh-huh. what were on his mind. And uh, it, at that point, it, it, it just 
grind to a halt because all of a sudden, you know, back then when there were only four um, teams, basically, uh-huh. you know, you yeah. had Honda, Suzuki, Yamaha, Kawasaki. Those are the only teams there were. And, and, and if you didn't like what they were doing and they didn't like what you were doing, there were no options. There, there, were, there was barely a plan B. Donnie said he didn't want to do supercross. He wanted to be basically outdoors only. And everyone said, okay, you're done. Yeah. And, uh, and, 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 and with that, uh, with, with, with just the stroke of a pen, he became a privateer. Yeah. Yeah, crazy, right? To think about it at, at that, like you said, he he's expected to be the, one of the next ones. You know, um, he was he was winning nationals in yeah, Supercross yeah, in '88, yeah. and then all of a sudden, he and his wife Kari were driving around in an Astro van. And what's really weird about that is there are two Astro vans we always talk about from 1989, <laughs> but it was the same van. It was Mitch Payton's van that he loaned first to John Michelle Bale when Bale was. Uh, you know, yeah. riding the, the the nationals or not the nationals, but the first five or six supercrosses, and and no one really wanted him to be in a Honda truck, and and he literally was in that Astro van uh, when he went to Gainesville, and then bailing back to Europe, and I think Mitch gave the Astro van to Tony Schmidt, <laughs> and he rode it, and I think he got fourth in the eighty nine one twenty five nationals on on really yep. really good. Uh, uh, privateer Hondas, but he was racing against factory equipment, yeah. and and that was that, that was that was pretty astonishing. But but uh, I think at that point he was close to quitting because I remember. Imagine when I told you before about the 100 cc class yeah. at Lynn. Six years later, just then, riding for Team Honda, 250 national champion. 250 Supergrass champion, Team USA hero, and Donnie Schmitz riding a CR125 out of an Astro. Out of an Astro van, exactly. <laughs> he was he was that mad. And, and kids, when I say Astro van, I'm talking about like before we even had what are now minivans. An Astro van was yeah. like a space age Dodge van, only it was really small. Um, and somehow, somehow he he went around in it and made it work. So you you went to Europe quite a bit uh, back in the day in the Bob Moore and Parker Schmidt days. You reconnected with them over there, I imagine, at some point. Uh, well, that, 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 yeah, that, what had happened is you know again, you know, not to, to go back, but you know, I yeah. mentioned the old Suzuki teammates. There were a few guys that became sort of castaways because that Suzuki program uh, was to to get a lot of you know young talent yeah. and see who. See who emerged as the next guy. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone from from Tushner, Devane, Turpin. Uh, There's just a whole bunch of guys that were really good guys, but but not necessarily the next guy. And, and Bob Moore was the one who sort of led the exodus. Uh-huh. And Bob also didn't really like Supercross, even though he was the '85 West Region champ, and, and he and he found a ride racing GPs in Europe, and then he was followed. Uh, more or less by Billy Lyles and then Trampus Parker and and uh, and and Mike Healy and, and they, they those guys all did really well in '89, especially in the 125 class where Parker won. Yep. I think Healy Healy was fifth or fourth, and 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 Bobby was second or third. And uh, suddenly there was, I guess as you'd say, there was room at the end because KTM had all these these high powered guys. Well. Donnie, maybe through his time at Suzuki, had hooked up with Sylvan Gabors. And Sylvan 
as I as I understand it, had this prodigy that he was bringing along, none other than Stefan Everett. Yeah, and and Stefan, you know, was just a child in in '89 when he rode like a, a national at age 15, or not national. I'm sorry, G- yeah, 125 GP at the age of 15, and then you know they they were going to put him on the circuit full time in 1990, and Donnie became the perfect person. You know, a five or six year veteran of you know the AMA uh, circuit to 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 bring over and say, here, you're going to be the guy, and you're going to race with this kid, and and uh, we're going to pay you this money. Yeah. And um, you know, Donnie already knew that 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 line of work had been successful for Par- Parker, Moore, Healy, etc. So he went for it, and eight months later, Donnie Schmidt was the 1990 125cc world champion. It was it was. It was an unbelievable turnaround from a guy riding out of an Astro van. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, right? And, and again, yeah, first year over there uh, wins the title. And um, it must have, it was a real cool time for American Motocross with those guys doing so well over there. And then, you know, of course, over here, still, you know, great series racing over here. So it was, uh, it was a pretty cool time for everybody. Uh, what was Donnie yeah. like as, as a guy? Like you said, he was hard to get to know. Did you? <laughs> you know? Donnie, Don, I, I, have, I have this one perfect example of what Donnie was okay. like. First of all, Donnie was like a Spartan when it came to training, drinking, eating, <laughs> anything. I mean, he was, he was like not, he was, not, he did not mess around. Um, he didn't do much of <laughs> anything but work, train, race, talk about racing, think okay. about racing, yeah. travel to races. One year, and it, it was, it was 1990. It was after he won the 125 World Championship he was invited, along with Stefan and a few other people, over to watch the Tokyo Supercross. Not race in it. Uh-huh. Watch. And, and this is you know, a, a race that's going to involve uh, Stanton, uh, RJ, who has just come back from you know, yet another wrist injury, mm-hmm. uh, Jean-Michel Bale, uh, Bradshaw, a whole bunch of really fast guys. And... Um, Donnie felt like he was being treated like a second-class citizen because, you know, the, the main guy for Suzuki over there was, like, Larry Ward. And the main guy for uh, Yamaha over there was Damon. And, you know, he, anyway, he wasn't even racing, but he got really kind of mad about it. And I remember they put us, when I say us, I mean the second-tier American and GP riders, which in this case included Donnie, and then the first tier guys, which somehow included Stefan, you know, because he was the heir apparent or whatever, at different tables in this really nice sushi place. So Donnie decides, screw it. Let's drink. <laughs> <laughs> and we started. And, and now, I don't know if Donnie really took measure of who was sitting around the table at the time, but Ron Machine was there. And. Uh, <laughs> Mickey Diamond was there, yeah. <laughs> and I was there, and 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 it turned into a really really funny us versus them thing, where we ended up leaving them and decided to just go check out the Rapongi District of Tokyo. Okay, uh, and I'm just a journalist. I'm just there yeah. with the Yokohama people or something. I can't even remember. Right, right, right. But but, but I remember and and just the. The the things you know, just Donnie would just stare at those guys and be like, "Son of a bitch, man! <laughs> I can't believe it. I'm the world champion, man! I can't." And he was just getting madder yep. and madder. 
And uh, that was the one time I really, really saw Donnie. Yeah. Uh, let his let his hair down. But but uh, but then the next year, you know, maybe maybe that dinner was a sign of things to come because um, all of a sudden Suzuki sort of pivoted mm-hmm. the next year. The the Biafi Gabor's team. And even though Stefan was number three and Donnie had number one on his bike, it sort of switched. Yeah. And and all of a sudden, Stefan was sort of the star of the show and, and maybe getting the better equipment and maybe not. And I honestly wasn't there, Steve, to see this in 91. Yeah. Um, but, but you could feel it from afar. And then, uh, believe it or not, Donnie got, got jacked up really bad at a race in Hungary. Yeah. And and, and uh, I remember him telling me, or maybe his wife's car, he told me that um, he got hurt, you know, in this really weird part of the track and is really, you know, hungry at this time and just yeah. no longer become communist and was really a poor country. They put him in a wagon and pulled him <laughs> out of the track with a donkey, like literally <laughs> wooden wheels, wagon, Donkey, and, and 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 that was the end of Donnie's time with Suzuki. Yeah, <laughs> and he didn't he didn't uh, he didn't race anymore. And uh, but somebody saw something in him, and the next year, all of a sudden, he was signed at Chesterfield, yeah, Yamaha, uh, along with Ali Pizar from Italy, and then ultimately Bob Moore, his his old friend, yeah. and, and him and Bob became best buddies after that, and uh, he. Pretty much after a slow start, dominated the the '92 World Championship, and he put a hurting on all of the other American expats who were over there at the time, which included Bob, yep. Bader, Manet, Trampas, Healy. I think maybe uh, Mickey Diamond was there for a little while, um, and, and it you know that was 25 years ago, but obviously it still stings because we recently tried to do a story on it, and Trampas. Bill did not want to talk about. <laughs> he just didn't want to go there, huh? I know. <laughs> he didn't want to go there. I, said, I got a said, sense in my podcast with Trampas that him and Donnie were not not buddies. You know. Well, you know, yeah. you have to look at the context of, of yep. things. Okay, you know, just as I think Danny Laporte and Brad Lackey probably have this mutual sort of who was first to land on the moon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yep. you know, it took Brad ten years to get there, but then he did get there first, and it took Danny one year. Yep. And he got there second, but it's like, well, I got there quicker. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. kind of this rivalry. Well, Trampas won an 89 on a 125 and 91 uh, on a 250. And Donnie won in 90 on a 125 and 92 on a 250. Yep. And, and, and you thought, um, wow, you know, who's the first American to win two World Titles? Well, obviously it's Trampas. Yep. But by by '92, things had changed in, in the sense that it was it was much more competitive. Because now in '92, uh, uh, you know, Everest was fully grown. Uh, uh, you had guys like Stanton and Kudrowski dropping in for races. Yeah, um, it was just it was just really a little more cutthroat. Yep, that doesn't change the history. You know, the yep. first American to win two world titles is Travis Parker, and that's why he's also. In the Hall of Fame, but yeah, yeah there, there's a rivalry there that goes beyond. You know, when you get a chance to talk to Bob Moore, you'll hear nothing but affection, respect, remorse, and, and joy that he got to spend, you know, a sizable amount of his life as some formidable, yeah. formative years with, 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 with Donnie and Kari. I don't think you'll get that. You won't get that. 
I always think of, uh, and to wrap this up, this Donnie Schmidt uh, Fly Racing Racer X podcast, some Donnie Schmidt memories. I always think of it like um, uh, I used to race in Minnesota quite a bit from Manitoba. That's where we would go. Everybody at this time, late 80s, is dominated from Southern California. And sure, there was Tom Binokin, and there was a few guys, no doubt, but it was dominated by SoCal guys. And before Ryan Dungey and before Heath Foss and everybody else, there was this guy from Minnesota. And for me, from Canada, I'm like, look at this guy. Like, he's... He, all these people that I see in District 23, they all know Donnie, and, and he's one of the best riders in the world, and he, he was the first, I mean, apologies to Binokin, who, who was good, but Donnie really put Minnesota motocross uh, on the map, I think. I looked at it like that anyways. Oh, I, I, absolutely, and, 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 and beyond, beyond that, I, I think that, that he, you know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, what Ricky did in regards to training, what Rick Johnson and David Bailey and Johnny O'Mara and those guys did in regards to training. Um, Donnie was one of those true uh, pioneers. You know, he, he was a guy that, that, that decided that he was going to go all in. He was like, okay, I may not have all the natural talent of these guys. I may not have all the opportunities. I may have to dig a track out in my backyard to ride. Uh, whatever it takes, I'm going to do it. And, and And he did. And, you know, the detour that took him to Europe, uh, you know, turned out to be very serendipitous yeah. because, uh, you know, maybe, you know, because of his, his, his dislike of supercross, as it were, uh, that he wasn't, you know, he wasn't going to make it, uh, you know, to the level that he wanted to, but he went to Europe like Bob Moore became a full blown motocrosser and, and, and became, yeah. you know, one of our yeah. best riders ever. We just, we just, you just won't see him in the results for Anaheim. And he won the 86-125 Supercross title, and he won other Supercrosses, so it's not like he couldn't ride it. He just didn't want to. Um, he was a very, very stubborn guy, and if he didn't have the equipment that he felt right uh, or comfortable with, he was going to go tell the track architect what was wrong. <laughs> what, but he was going to do whatever he could to, 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 to find a comfort level, and then he was going to beat everyone's ass if he had to do it on foot. He was that competitive. You, uh, you were the ESPN pit reporter when he passed away, Minneapolis, 1996, right before the race. Uh, what do you remember about that and hearing the news? Uh, you know, it was one of those things like when Hank Gathers, the basketball player, yep. died, or, uh, you know, just you, you never expect someone in the prime of their life. Uh, at that point, Donnie was still thinking about, you know, maybe a ride will come along. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe Phil Alderton of Honda Troy was going to call or maybe something was going to develop or he really could go be an outdoors only guy. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then, you know, it was in January and all of a sudden, you know, the, you know, this is pre internet, pre cell phone, pre, yeah. Uh, you know, 24 seven social media, whatever you, you heard the news and you didn't believe it. Cause how does someone, you know, suffer an aneurysm or a rare blood disorder or anything yeah. and just go that quickly. And it was, it was, it was heart wrenching cause no one knew what to do. And you know, the, the, the folks at Supercross, even though Donnie hadn't, you know, said wheel on a Supercross track and, Plenty of years, they, they, they did their best, and the, the, the irony, just cruel irony that it happened to be his hometown race in yeah. Minneapolis. I remember they brought everyone out and formed a circle, and, and uh, man, everyone just looked at each other. You know, and I'm, I'm watching this from the sideline, more or less, because mm -hmm. I'm the pit reporter, 
but you could see, especially Justin, uh, it, it broke him up and, 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 and really, you know, Jeff had already retired at that point, but he was, he was there and he was, he was a leader. He was working with Honda and, 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 um, I remember just being really difficult for everyone to, to fathom because, you know, you, you never think that, that, yeah. that someone's, someone's going to be taken like that especially the strongest among you. Yeah, he was still doing Fox videos, the Supercross thing, and riding four-stroke nationals. And, like, he rode Millville the year before, four-flipper. Four yeah. So he was still, yeah, yeah, well they, you know. Yeah, the last, the last two things I remember about him, number one, the last race he won in Europe, 94, Schwanenstad, uh, where we had the designations the year before. Uh-huh. After he won, he went across the finish line. Instead of making the right-hand corner like you were supposed to, he went ahead to the top of the hill and he did a knack knack. Oh, cool! And like, like knack knacks were like so brand new, right? Like the fact that this guy would do one in a GP outdoors—I don't think anyone had done one outdoors at that point. But it was just—it <laughs> was a typical Donny thing. He's wearing black yeah. Chesterfield stuff, and it's just really cool. And then I remember that Fox video. Yeah, and uh, he's riding on ice tires on the ice lake and jumping stuff, and 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 you know, kind of like. You know, when Doug Henry came back and was riding around the beach in Bermuda or whatever, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will always remember that thinking, huh, that guy is even better than I thought. Awesome. Uh, thank you, Davey, for the, uh, for the Donnie Schmidt memories. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, thanks again, man. Anytime. Thank you, Steve. All right, next up on the uh, Fly Racing Donnie Schmidt Memories podcast, uh, a guy that was a big part of Donnie's career over in the U.S. and maybe in Europe, which we'll, we'll find out. Um, Mitch Payton, what's up, Mitch? How are you? Good. How about you? I'm good. Thank you for doing this. Appreciate it. Now, I feel a little bit of a kindred spirit with Donnie, just in the sense that I was from Manitoba. He was from Minnesota. He was, you know, with apologies to Tom Binokin, Donnie really made it, was the first guy that really made it out of Minnesota. And now, of course, Ryan Dungey and Heath Voss and all these other guys are, are all from there, Martin, Jeremy Martin, and Alex Martin. But at the time, Donnie was a little bit of an outlier because coming from Minnesota um, and being so good, being a West Coast Supercross champion for Suzuki. And, uh, and I remember he was Kawasaki, he was then. Um, but anyways. No, I think it was, uh, I think it was Suzuki. When do you first meet Donnie Schmidt? I, I honestly don't exactly remember how I met Donnie. So that's a little murky. I'm not positive uh-huh. how we became uh, together, except for I think he was planning on trying to ride Suzuki again um, in 89, and something went wrong at the last second, Yeah, and he wound up out, and like he was going to be a privateer and i think somehow we linked up and he's like can you help me out and i said yeah we'd be glad to um, and okay go ahead so again this is in the mid to late 80s you know we saw these guys mm-hmm. ride kawasaki's and suzuki's and yamaha's and it was easily to see the the you, you get on a honda like george honda like mike Rodowski, like mickey diamond did and poor Eric Kehoe did not, and you win championships and races. And we're, so, you do you remember if you were the guy to say, "Hey, you got to ride a Honda in '89"? There's no other way around it. Well, it really it they kind of they did have that Honda had that illusion. I'd say, geez, from like eighty, I'd say eighty three, eighty eighty four, maybe mm-hmm. eighty four. 
their production bikes were so good, and, and it's just what you said. So, like, if a guy lost their ride, they say, ah, oh, screw it, I'll just go buy a Honda. <laughs> right, and right. that that's what everybody would do because it, it was the best production bike. And then, you know, 86, you know, they was first year of production rule, and they, they, their bikes were really good. And the 89, the, uh, the Honda, I think it was their first year, the 125 was a Nicosil cylinder, and mm-hmm. it was a good base. He came from a Suzuki, um, and we were, we were going to help. We had already committed to helping out Mike Kudrowski that year. Yep. Um, so we were dealing with, uh, Kudrowski and then all of a sudden Donnie had asked if we would help him and Donnie was out in California and he was, I think, I think he stayed up at my house. I think there was, I think maybe Hicks and Fred Andrews and and Kari. And (laughs) anyway, I think they stayed there, uh, for a little bit. And uh, we went to Anaheim, and he or he went to press day, and he came back, and I guess he had crashed and and just was shook up and like uh-huh. he was just dis- distraught. He came in my office, he shut the door, he started tearing up, and he says, "I I can't do it. Like I'm just I suck at Supercross. I'm just I'm over it. It scares me. I don't like it. This and that." And I'm like, "Man, I'm like, don't you can't quit." Like. Just, just yeah. think about it here. There's got to be something to. So then, and he was, he was absolutely convinced that he wasn't going to go back out there and do that. Like he wasn't, didn't feel like he was getting it done. It was scaring him, and thought he should quit. And I never, I'm like, no, he shouldn't yeah. do that. I never realized he and went I, to Anaheim to race. I thought he had just said I wasn't going to do it at all. I didn't realize no, he went. He, he went. Okay. He was on a 250. Yep, yeah. Yep. On a two 250 Honda. And it just wasn't going good, and he was spooked of it, and he just avoided it. And like we said, well, what what about like you love one twenty fives? And he he even said he goes, I, I'm I love outdoors. Outdoors doesn't scare me, and this and that. And he goes, I I, I think I'm better at outdoors. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I, I don't practice enough at Supercross, and and that that kind of was the truth, you know. Like in the in the old days, you know, Honda had Honda Land, yeah, and uh, Yamaha had a track out of De Anza. I don't even know if I think Suzuki's was Suzuki. Hesperia up in Hesperia somewhere. I think. I don't well, know. yeah, yeah. So I, I don't. Yeah. I'm not positive, but anyway, uh, it was important to get a lot of time on a Supercross track, and privateers really didn't. So he kind of decided he was going to go home and think about it. And I said, why don't you just, then just get ready for outdoors, just ride outdoors this year. You know, like that's yeah. what you like. Just let's do that. He went home and he thought about it, you know, and kind of remotivated himself and was into it. Um, and I'm not positive how long it was or whatever, but then he, he decided he was going to privateer it in his van on the, on the nationals. And he did. And, he he did really good like he was that year we helped out <clears throat> we had Kudrowski and then after the first round Honda did this big test and they all kind of picked what they wanted to use or whatever and mm-hmm. and it was good for us it was our stuff and so they had they had Kudrowski and Larry Ward Holland. Guy Cooper George Holland 
and Donnie Schmidt, yeah. all on Hondas. And we went to Hangtown, the very first national, and after the race, there was five Hondas and Tech, and it was all, all, uh, all those guys. And Donnie won the first moto up there, and like, it was really cool because you know he 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 did it on his own. He uh-huh. worked hard to do it. You know, he did travel in his van, yeah. him and Kari. And uh, I remember, I can't, uh, Bones was asking me about that too. And I said, I can't remember the race. But then all of a sudden he said, hey, uh, Sylvan Gabor's called me about maybe going and riding GPs. Uh-huh. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> you know, like thinking, I mean, thinking that was cool. Like I thought, you know, like here's, here's a guy who loves outdoors and you could, you could try to be a 125 world champ. What if you could do that? Yeah. How cool would that be? And he went over there and made a, a new career for himself and, and became a world champion. And it was every year at Christmas, you'd get, you'd get a card and it was Donnie and Kari. And they would always be someplace, you know, like outside Different. of a castle yeah, yeah. or yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you'd read about it and then they'd, they'd come home, you know, and maybe come to Anaheim or something. And we'd always catch up and, great great good person you know just nice as can be yeah uh not not an ego to him everything just great guy and then we went to minneapolis you know that one year and and like i thought i heard something maybe earlier in the week and then when we got there somebody said he passed away i'm like you're kidding me like yeah there's no way yeah he was and it just happened so fast. Yeah, he was the picture of health, really, right? Even still, he had retired, but he'd finished. He'd he'd ridden Millville the year before. He'd done this in four stroke nationals. He, you know, he was still a uh, a very viable motocrosser and young. You know. Um, yep. Yep. Do you and that that now that summer that he rode those 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 races? I mean, do you remember giving him doing a lot of testing with him and doing a lot of stuff that you, that maybe you weren't doing to Kurdowski's bike and all that, or was it close to that bike or was Honda more Kurdowski and you were doing all the Donnie stuff? No, every, it was so funny that summer. So like we did, we were, you know, like pro circuit was already doing Kurdowski's bike. Mm-hmm. Well, then after, after, uh, I think it was Gainesville, they decided that, they tested and they said, okay, well, you guys are all going to, they all agreed. The riders agreed this was the best setup. So they wanted to run it. And then <clears throat> we had already didn't, or was doing Donnie's bike anyway. So yeah. like they all, every, every rider had the exact same cylinder and head spec. And then it was funny because we had, uh, we have like the production stamped pipe. We mm-hmm. had that. And we had made a couple different lengths of that for Donnie to try and all that. Well, then Honda, when they tried it, the 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 pipe that they had tested was a, a test pipe uh-huh. that we thought we thought ran a little bit better. And they they tried it and they liked that. And so that the riders had something special, Dave made us. We made cone pipes okay. all year long yeah. for the other four guys. <laughs> and I'm like, you're going to have to pay for them. And he goes, I don't care. We'll pay for them. So they. They they paid for him, and then I remember, I think it was Guy Cooper. Guy Cooper thought that I didn't like him or something because he was using FMF or something at the time, and uh-huh. and he he picked up some of the stuff, and they were driving up to Hangtown, uh, and he made his mechanic. I think it was, uh, oh god dang it, Ron Woods. Yeah, 
think Ron Woods, I think they stopped on the way and uh, Cooper wanted to try all the pipes to make sure none of them were different. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. Oh, geez. Give me a break. <laughs> but, yeah, um, exactly. Did you, but, did you no, ever, every, did you everybody ever, had the same. Did you ever ask Donnie, like, <laughs> hey, why do you got an Astro van? Why are you putting your bikes in an Astro van <laughs> and doing the Nationals? Can you, you ever heard of these things called box vans? Why would I ask Donnie Schmidt what was wrong with an Astrovan? <laughs> yeah, I drive an yeah, Astrovan. I know. You're a fan of Astrovans. <laughs> no, I know. I know. So I, w- I think he was just ahead of his time. Right, right. He was just, he was just ahead of the curve. <laughs> I get it. Uh, it's crazy that he did them all, though, out of that. Like, it, that, was, that was pretty gnarly back then. No, he's he, it's, it's kind of funny, you know. Like, it's just, I don't know. It, yeah. The smallest things didn't bother him. Like he was pretty happy-go-lucky. Yeah, just always, you know, good at everything. And I don't know. Like, and it was strange. Like, I'm convinced. Like, I'm sure he could have been really good at Supercross, also. Oh, you would think, I think so, it right? Just yeah. yeah, yeah. It just would have took him some time and a little bit more. I don't know. Just, just more work at it. You know, like I rem, I remember guys like. Fred Andrews and those guys, you know, they were from Ohio and they would go to Florida and ride the winter am and then come to California and ride around out here somewhere. I don't even know where they rode back then, yeah, but yeah. then they, they'd go to him and Allie and those guys would go do supercross. Yeah. They figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but they barely practiced it, you know, yeah. you like anywhere you could go that had a track, but like there wasn't that many tracks like that. Yeah. Uh, I heard he was a big prankster. Do you remember that? Do you remember anything about that? Um, I heard he was he was uh, quite a jokester. I think he was too. I think he was probably that. I don't I don't remember one to yeah. to cap off right off the top of my head though. Right, right, right. Bones Bones might know a few of those. Um, well, cool. Yeah, he uh, that summer. I don't know if you remember this, but at one of the races, he had nothing but pro circuit stickers on his rear fender. Like, he put 20 pro circuit stickers on his rear fender at some race. And I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> Big pro circuit guy, clearly. <laughs> he really a, believes in us. Yeah, there was a photo of, of, of an MXA or something, and he just said he literally had pro circuit stickers all over his bike. It was, it was great. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. Um, he, was, he was a, like I said, he was yeah. a super, super nice guy and appreciative for the help that he did have. And like, like for him, and you got to think like too, like, okay, so he can't, he was factory Suzuki guy that he doesn't have a ride. Half the guys, you know how that goes. They just fuck it. I quit. Yeah, right. Yeah. He didn't, he, he kind of nutted it out and he was going to go get a bike and prove that he can do it. And then, you know, the first portion of, it, I mean, imagine that like privateer on your own, two fifty works class against everybody and it's not going right so you freak out and you just kind yep. of back up a little bit yep. reevaluate and he did what he was great at and he was he was really good that year and and it wasn't an easy class i mean that was yeah, good oh guys. No. they all yeah. won all won races and um everything it, and then goes to europe did you ever help him out in europe did you did you talk to him much you said you said you got the christmas cards but did you ever keep up a relationship with him when he was over there he won two world titles of course I mean, we would. I I would imagine he probably called every once in a while to the shop or whatever, and we'd probably all talk to him. And right. more more so than anything, you'd you'd see him, you know, like when he came back. Or I can't, I can't remember if we ever ran into him 
like at Bercy or anything like that. Yeah, I know. You know like did, maybe over yeah. there. Yeah, he did Bercy one year for sure. I know that on a, on a Suzuki 125. So, yeah, might might have been that back then. Um, well, cool, man. Uh, thank you. Thanks for the memories, Mitch Payton, about uh, about helping Donnie Schmidt and uh, and memories of him. He, uh, two world championships and a Supercross championship, and and uh, interesting guy. And I didn't know that he had tried Supercross in '89. I just thought he beforehand he had said, "I don't want to do it." You know, but he, but he actually, no, he, yeah. He, he was out here to go, and I and I believe it was uh, it was Anaheim because yeah. it, it was like a press day. I think it was the year two, and I I don't know why this sticks out in my head mm-hmm. that there was. I want to say it was the year, maybe Mickey Diamond was on a Yamaha. Yep, that probably right. Yeah, it was. Yeah, Diamond was okay. eighty nine. Yeah, Diamond was on uh, Yamaha. So. Okay, and there was a a big tabletop which was a semi. Oh yeah, you know the, yeah, trailer. the, the yeah. bed of a right. yeah, and so they had this really gnarly thing, and it was big, and only a couple guys. I think Mickey did it or whatever. And there was just probably some crazy obstacles that if you're not used to doing, it's yeah. probably death defying. <laughs> and uh, he was number nine, so you know he's more than legit with a number nine ranking. You know from from the year before from the nationals. So <laughs> um, you know, a very very good rider for sure. So um, thanks, Mitch. Yeah, yeah. All right, thanks. Thanks to Fly Racing and Alpine Star Protects for coming on this podcast. Now here's some commercials from Racetech and Michelin. Listen, all right? Thanks. Hey, thanks, everybody, for listening to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis podcast on RacerX. I want to talk to you a little bit about Racetech. The folks at Racetech have been uh, on board with us for a long time. And use the code PULPMX17 when you're checking out to save money. Get your suspension done, please. Come on. Give your bike some love. All right, if, if you're looking to get the most of your bike suspension, get Racetech's proven lineup of suspension components and services done at the headquarters in Corona, California, or at your local Racetech service center. And check out the helpful guides on Racetech.com and pick up a do-it-yourself gold valve kit. It's a revalve in a box. Things have been around a long time. Also, too, Racetech doing engines now, valve jobs, porting, honing, decking, and more. Whether you're looking for a rebuild or a high-performance upgrade, Racetech's engine services department, experience, staff, and state-of-the-art equipment have you covered. I can vouch for that. I've seen it myself. Give Racetech a call and mention Pulp Mex for a special discount. Please, check them out. Thanks to the guys at Racetech. Randy Richardson from Michelin here, and I'd like to thank the Pulp MX Show listeners for your support and share some information about Michelin motorcycle tires. Michelin offers motorcycle tires for everything from cruisers to sport touring, sport bikes, and adventure touring motorcycles. And as we celebrate our 10-year anniversary of our iconic partnership with Harley-Davidson, you'll find Michelin Scorcher tires on an increasing number of factory-equipped Harley-Davidson motorcycles. New for 2017, Michelin introduces the new benchmark for sport bike tires, the Michelin Power RS, featuring many of Michelin's patented technologies, all of which contribute to the incomparable grip, handling, and flickability of the Michelin Power RS. I just want to hear the motocross stuff. Fair enough. Let's focus on the Michelin Starcross 5. Because the Pulp MX show listeners are important to Michelin, we're going to continue to sponsor Steve's janky radio show. That's right. While I'm not like some people who say, I know everything. I do know a few things about motorcycle tires, and I'd like to share some of the key features and benefits of the Michelin Starcross 5 tires with you. And I promise it's not a bunch of corporate blah, blah, blah. The Michelin Starcross 5 tires are specifically designed for use in a broad range of conditions and terrain. They're available in sand, soft, medium, 
medium, and hard versions and are offered in 21 size and fitment applications. Yeah, you like that? In addition to the exceptional performance and durability, the redesigned architecture of the Michelin Starcross 5 features a bead profile that makes the tires easier to install. And everyone knows... Easier mounting, always a good feature. If you're riding on Michelin Starcross 5 tires, but you have friends that are still buying other brands, please tell them... No, 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 no. Encourage them to try a set of Michelin Starcross 5 tires. And if you haven't tried Michelin Starcross 5 tires yet... You're out of your mind, dude. Visit your local dealer or online retailer to purchase a set of Michelin Starcross 5 tires and install them on your bike. Who knows? They might just help you learn to do a backflip in a day. It worked for the Doom Goon. To learn more, visit MichelinMotorcycle.com and follow us on Instagram at Michelin Motorcycle. All right, next up in the, the Donnie Schmidt, Fly Racing Donnie Schmidt uh, podcast, Memories podcast that we're doing here, uh, another guy that uh, knew Donnie very, very well, raced against him uh, uh, all over the world and uh, is a world champion himself. Bob Moore, what's up, Bob? How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. Thanks, uh, thanks for giving me a call. No problem. Congrats on the upcoming AMA Hall of Fame induction, too, by the way. That's awesome. That's, uh, that's really cool. Oh, yeah, I can't. I, I still can't believe it. It's uh, very humbling, for sure. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So, uh, talk to Peyton and talk to Davey Coombs and, and uh, going to talk to a few other guys on the list, but um, maybe you might have known Donnie the best. Now, in a way, your careers were similar in the fact both of you are 125 Supercross champions, and at some point, Donnie, because he didn't like Supercross anymore, you, I think, because you just didn't suit Supercross, you both ended up uh, found yourself uh, racing the world championships. Yep, that's correct. I uh, obviously was a few years earlier, and that you know I was also younger, I, I believe. And when I when I won the championship in '85, um, that was my first year pro. Mm-hmm. So um, I was basically I had a, a contract with Suzuki, but uh, it was nothing to write home about. I only made five thousand dollars plus mm-hmm. bonuses, so it wasn't really big. Yeah. And and so I needed some more help, and I went back to to Suzuki to ask for a little bit more help for the next year. But they said, "Yeah, we're we're tapped out." So I I, I said, "Well, look, the only opportunity for me, which is something I've always wanted to do, is to to give this thing the shot at, and to go to Europe." So I went to Europe at, you know, yeah. right right out of the get go. Yeah. Where Donnie was was over here for a little bit longer, but yeah, I remember Donnie very very well. We we, we lived together there for um, you know couple of years in the same house uh, his wife and my wife and uh, we got on really well and uh, actually I, I learned quite a bit from Donnie to be honest how did the so like you said you were already in Europe we, we know your story chasing the Grand Prix for, for a long time how did you how did you know Donnie like did you did someone reach out to you and say hey let's live together hey Bob what, what's like how did that all happen I'm curious in that well yeah, that that one was a little bit more unique to where, um, you know, obviously when you're living in Europe and there's another American, you know, rider that comes yeah. over, you you kind of instantly become friends anyway. It's just because same language, you know, you can talk about all kinds mm-hmm. of other stuff. So all of us Americans kind of hung out and, you know, chatted quite a bit. But that year with 92, Donnie had, um, had um, won the championship already in the 125 and was kind of, he got first pick to, to go on the factory uh, Yamaha with Rinaldi. Mm-hmm. And um, I was second that year, uh, unfortunately, and yeah. I didn't get the pick because they had, you know, the Italian Alex Buzar and right. Donnie Schmidt, and they had two factory bikes that year. So I ended up going to, 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 to Michele Rinaldi, and I just said, you know, just pleaded my case. I'm like, look, 
um, Michaela, just give me a shot. I, I, you know, I'll ride for you for free. Just give me a shot because I really want to try, you know, uh-huh. you know, I want to ride this 250. So he, you know, make a long story short, he put, put together a team thing for me and I ended up getting a little bit of money. So I wasn't riding there for free, but that's how us becoming the three rider in all white Chesterfield gear came about. I was the, I was kind of like the satellite rider, uh-huh. and then they had him and uh, Alex were the, both the factory riders on that aluminum frame 250. So was so, there ever a rivalry uh, then between you two a little bit, like a uh, you know? Of course, I mean yeah. obviously he, he, this is motocross, so you 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 want to beat you want to beat whoever's out there. So my my goal was always to to win. But uh, honestly, I I you know being so it was my first year on the 250, and that I wasn't the biggest guy in the world, anyways. Mm-hmm. It was it was hard for me to manhandle that bike around, especially for those amount of times and stuff. So I maybe wasn't the fastest guy. At least I, I know I wasn't the fastest guy at a lot of times, but I was consistent enough. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to beat Donnie, and you know we went to, you know the first part of the year. I actually I think I was even in front of Donnie for a little while because he had kind of an up and down first part of the season, and then we went to a couple of races where he just started, you know, rattling off these. <laughs> every single moto wins yeah. and you know kind of gapped us quite 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 fast but i'll so i'll tell you one story i mean you know this this is a guy that um you know donnie to this day is probably the you know the most dedicated rider that i know that would you know measure his food never eat you know sugar or yeah. anything with salt i mean he was just yeah i heard that about with, him so yeah really huh stuff. You, you saw this firsthand. <laughs> yeah, I did. I saw it firsthand because I lived with him. And uh-huh. I, I would, you know, my wife and I would make our dinners, and I'd have like a bowl of, you know, pasta and a salad, and maybe a, you know, a Fanta or something like that. And uh-huh. He'd come in here and he'd make, you know, measure out all this crazy <laughs> food and have his vegetables set up and all that. And right, you know, and even that kind of rolled over from the training. You know, I mean, Donnie a lot of times would would go to the race, you know, go to the, we would test all at the same time. And then he would end up running back, you know, where I would <laughs> yeah, yeah. go back and, and I'd be, you know, completely toasted for the rest of the year, uh, rest of the day. So I didn't do right. anything. I could just go home and rest. Uh, so it was that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. that was really the kind of just, set him apart so in 1990 when he comes over uh, uh parker wins the 89 title you and parker and healy are in there 1990 he comes over the kid from minnesota did you take to being friends with him right away i believe you were in 125s in 90 right yes yeah i was so uh, riding ktm right um, and again it was the first part of the season we were you know we we, we again we we talked and we chatted and uh-huh. stuff like that we weren't we weren't really close obviously because he lived in Belgium at the time when he was up with Sylvan Gabor yeah, and I was down sure. in Italy yep. racing for KTM. So we lived in different countries and just saw each other on the weekends. And and of course I was a lot more competitive. I you know on that 125 I had finished second the year before um, to to you know um, it was at Stephen Everts. So I had won already a lot of Grand Prix. So I was kind of right there with him. Um, but it was you know again we we yeah. were friends and you know. We would we would see each other during the weekend, but not not so much during the week. Um, 
So you've been chasing, you chased the Grand Prix for years, winning GPs, uh, standing on the podium a lot, along with Mike Healy. Of course, Brad Lackey chased it for a long time. Um, you know, and Bader Manet was over there also then. Parker was kind of a quick study. But in a way, Bob, when you saw him win his 125 world title, his rookie year, <laughs> were you pissed off a little bit? Like, again, you, you know, you were rivals, but Absolutely. were you like, yeah, you're like, hey. Absolutely. And I, I had already put in my time, you know, yeah. you know we're in, in Europe. I I came over there at 18, so mm-hmm. obviously I had a I had a few years on me, and this you know this kid come over from Minnesota, and I and I knew from I knew him because I knew he was right. he'd won nationals, and yeah. so it wasn't like it was no it was no flowers by any, any means, uh-huh. and um, you know so we had a good we had a good uh, good year that year, um, but he he won fair and square. I mean it was it was you know no no doubt about it. He he, he won more Grand Prix than me, and yeah. and you know that was it. It was it was so I I was a little ticked. Mm-hmm. Um, but but again, then that following year when I went in '92, I, I was kind of considered so much the underdog that it really was, it was kind of I was actually like it was even better because it was Puzar and and Donnie that were the guys that were supposed to be winning. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. I was just that guy, you were a satellite guy, out, sure, outside yeah. five, fifth place, sixth place. So when I was battling for podiums and wins, it was it was really really good. Um, but um the guy would the guy would train like a, a machine and um you know I'll, I'll tell you a story when sure. we were yeah. out mountain biking one day um you know there was this hill it took us about 45 to 55 minutes to get to the top of this hill and this is from our house <laughs> okay. living in Italy right and it was so hard that i think i only made it up one time maybe two times in my whole time over there uh-huh. to make make it up of this trail until, you know, making it up without getting off my path, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. without pushing it. And I remember going up one time with Donnie and I got close to the top and I was still in front of him and I was wobbling back and forth because <laughs> it was so steep and I was right. just puffing and puffing. I was about ready to die. And I, Donnie just clicked in another gear and went right by me and he glanced back at me. And he and he said this, and I'll never forget. It. it was like it was yesterday. He looked back at me and he said, "Don't let this mountain beat you." And I I, I was like, "What?" You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I was like thinking about it. I was like, sure. you know what? That's 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 Donnie Schmidt in his in a, in a nutshell. That guy would not let anything beat him. And um, you know, from a training standpoint, or you know, the conditioning and stuff that he did, right. it was just something that you know it, that made him so special. And you know, that was the time where I just said, "Look, I, I'm going to have to, you know, work as hard as this guy yeah. if I'm, I'm going to want to beat him." Something, so, something I've else. So, yeah, hard trainer, very dedicated, also very intense uh, competitor is what I've gotten from other people. Now, your wives are friends. You're living together. You're racing for a world title. Did you guys ever get into it on the track and carry that over, or was everything okay? Um, it was, you know, he was pretty cordial when it when it when it came time to putting all the helmets and you know okay. taking a shower and getting because again that year in '92 we drove to the races a lot of times yeah, yeah. too both of our families so we were in our you know our, <laughs> Camper, our yeah. wagon you know with you know all four of us in there and and um, I remember coming back from the Austrian Grand Prix where I, I I beat him I think I was third or fourth or whatever in the and he had a problem in one of the races and didn't get any points I think it won. I got third in one of the other races, but he was still kind of way off. So we're driving home, and he's like just, I mean, you could just tell he's just all mopey, and, you know, I'm uh-huh. trying to keep him, 
you know, I'm trying to keep him up to up to speed, you know, just kind of at least helping him out and keeping him happy. And and I just we we went went to go get some gas. Mm-hmm. And um and we're stopping in this place and Donnie's just bangs on the, you know, the the steering wheel and is all fl- flipping out. He's like, "Oh, forget this." You know, he said this the bad words, but he's yeah, like, yeah. "Forget this." And he slams the door. I start putting gas in and he goes inside this the the market that they had there. Yep. Grabs a Coca-Cola and a Snickers bar. <laughs> And I was like, oh, my gosh. It's literally like this guy was taking heroin. The, the world is out. ending. The world is ending. Yeah. I'm like, dude, there's something really wrong. And he just pounded that stuff down like it was nothing and then, you know, got back in the car after we got gas wow. and, and drove back. But it was it was literally, it was really, really something, you know, special for him to do that. And it was, you know, it just blew me away that, that that happened right in front of me. I was like, what? Yeah. You need to be okay there, bud? Um. So 1994, you know, you finally win your world championship. Um, he, is, he has a frustrating year, and according to some people I've spoken to already, you know, he was getting a little bit fed up with injuries and with the, with the re- living over there. Um, were you two still living together, and was he happy for you, or was, did you notice him getting, uh, you know, a little bit more frustrated with things? And that was the year, well, so the year, you mean the year that I won the championship? Yeah, yeah the year you won. What? Well, we were we were in different classes that year, so of course I saw him yep. during you know during our our time that we were at the house. But a lot of weekends we were apart. So um, yeah, I mean we were still friends. We still chatted. We we did a little bit of together. And again, you know, he kind of helped me out a little bit with you know doing my sprint training and you know focusing more on heart rates and yep. stuff like that. But. Um, I, you know, it wasn't like, yeah, I don't really recall, you know, you know, again, he was, he was happy for me, but yeah. it was almost like he was really ticked off because he wasn't winning. Yeah. Know? Yeah. It and, seemed like he was not yeah. happy that last year he was there from people. Like, no, he wasn't at all. And it, and it you know, again, I, I, the only thing I can think of is just the amount of work a kid put in for him not to get it up. Frustrating. And, and really in the beginning part of the 1992 uh, 90, season, he was, like, like raging. You know, he was really, really upset with himself because he wasn't winning. Yeah. So, um, but that year that he, you know, that was in 94, he pretty much just, like, I mean, he, he, he was nowhere near the speed or, or winning the races and stuff like that. Now, I don't know. I don't know if he had already kind of had um, – you know, he was starting to get a little bit sick or right. or he was training too hard or what it was, but it was clearly not his year that year. Uh, he just was never really on pace. Uh, where were you when you heard he passed away and, and your thoughts on that and, and, and sadness, I imagine, uh, of losing a good friend? Yeah, it was it was really, really um, strange time. I, I, got a, I got a phone call like a couple of days um uh, prior, maybe it was a week um, mm-hmm. from a friend of mine that just said, hey, "Look, Aunt Donnie's not doing well, but needs you know needs to get a bone marrow transplant." I'm like, "Wow, okay." Yeah. Well, you know, I all I could think about is how fit that kid was and how you know in shape he was. Yeah. Michael, like, well, geez, he'll 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 get this, this. You know, he'll swing through this. No worries. Yeah. You know? yeah. And um, and it wasn't up until maybe a couple of weeks. You know, I guess just right after I got that phone call, I got this another phone call. He's like, Donnie passed away. And I'm like, what? Yeah. 
He's like, yeah, he had a brain aneurysm in the, in the you know, in the, it's in, with his wife in the hospital in the elevator. And I'm like, it was just, you know, it was a shock. I'm like, what? I, I, you know, you just, with a kid that has that much fitness and is so, you know, full yeah. of life, it, yeah. was just, it was just mind-blowing. It was really, really mind-blowing. Because I, I, couldn't, I couldn't imagine that, you know. Not, not him. Yeah, yeah. It seems like that. Everyone says that. Like he was such a dedicated guy, so serious, so intense, so took everything you know really seriously. At that, you know, it's really odd for that he couldn't, uh, you know, that he that he succumbed to something like this when he was living right. Let's say, you know what I mean. So yeah. Just well, to, but again, I you know I I'm a I'm a Christian, and I I you know I I fully believe when it's your time, it's your time. You know, when, yep. when, when the Lord wants you back, you know, you're not going to be able That's to change it. anything, and really. It, it, it was one of those things where, you know, when he passed away, again, it was it was also something for me to really take in and say, you know what, here's a guy that did everything right, and mm-hmm. you know he's gone. You know, it's not it's not like I'm the was super crazy party man or anything like that, but I I didn't train as hard as he did yeah. ever. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't eat the same way, you know. I'd have a burger on a Sunday night and hang out, and French fries and stuff like that. So I was just, you know, that part of me, me was like, wow, that's that's crazy, you know. Mm-hmm. That's really, really crazy. Yeah. It's, um, one one other thing that I, yeah. it just, I don't know what it was, but I I remember talking to him, you know, on our bicycle rides and and you know and and really. You know, just when you were just alone, you yeah. know, and there's no one else around, and you're really just kind of opening up and stuff. And he, he was, he didn't come out and say it, but he, I was like almost sure that what he was telling me was, it was almost like he knew he wasn't going to live that long. Really, huh? Interesting. And, and I, yeah. and I, I don't, I don't even, I think I told Kari, his wife, that story, and that was, you know, well after this. Of his passing, but it was almost like I sent that because he was really, really training and eating and everything, doing that so much. It was almost like he kind of knew that if he didn't, his time would go earlier. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. But it was it was just uh, you know a couple of times he we were talking about a, uh, you know something and he, he just he just kind of referred the the thinking that you know his time might be short. You know, and whether he is having dreams about it or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this was this was during the '92 season. You know, and this is the season when you know he he won the championship, yeah. so he was on top of the world. So it wasn't during the time that he was not doing well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like so when that, that's kind of why another thing that kind of just stuck with me. I'm like, wow, okay, mm-hmm. you know. So it, um, yeah, yeah. Again, a very dedicated individual. Um, you know, a really good kid really good friend um you know he was very helpful to me um you know he helped me win he helped me win the world championship for sure if i didn't probably have that year sure with him in 92 i wouldn't have probably had the season i did in 94 right um with him so i um you know i give him a lot of credit for that for sure well awesome bob thank you for your time really appreciate it i think it's going to help my listeners and, and a lot of people that don't know about Donnie and what an eclectic, strange, fantastic career he had, you know, uh, um, yep. uh, winning both sides of the water and not, not liking Supercross and then becoming a two-time world champion. And then, you know, basically probably still leaving some things on the table when he hung it up. But just because he was 
he was a bit over it. I mean, remember in 95, he, he rode Millville and whole shot for, for Honda Troy and led some laps and, and all that at Millville. So, you know, it was, uh, he's got a really, really interesting story and, and a great career that I, I hope people can find out through the words of, of guys like you. So, yep. I appreciate it. Awesome. Uh, he's, it's, uh, it's awesome. He's a good kid and, and, um, he's, he's, he's missed even today. So <clears throat> I, uh, I got a lot out of him and, and I'm glad he was, you know, he was in my life for the short amount of time he was. Well said. Thanks, Bob. All right. Thank you. All right. Next up for uh, the Fly Racing Racer X podcast, uh, talking about the late, great Donnie Schmidt, a man who was uh, spent a lot of time with uh, Donnie. Donnie wore Fox gear for pretty much every year he was in America. And uh, even when he came back and did some races, he was in Fox. And who can forget the terra firma snowcross video also done? Uh, uh, Pete Fox, what's going on, Pete? How are you? <laughs> I'm great. Nice to talk to you again. Yeah, thank you. Uh, um, so I think Donnie wore, I think he might, he might've wore a high point as an amateur gear, but other than that, if it was Fox racing all the way for him. Yeah, there was some time when he was over in Europe, uh, on the, on the Chesterfield team where I'm not sure what gear that was. Yeah. I don't know either. It wasn't Fox, but yes, um, through his, most of his career in the U S at least he was always a Fox guy and. You know, a long-term friend of mine and my entire family. Mm-hmm. Uh, very close. What uh, What uh, do you remember about him? I, the main thing, I'm sure that you know, I'd say, and I would imagine anyone you talk to who is a friend of Donnie's would say that he's just a fantastic human being, a really nice guy, loved motocross. Uh, you know, just when you think about what's great about the sport of motocross and the people like it's Don, it's people like Donnie mm-hmm. that just, just a good guy who just liked riding a dirt bike, you know, and was always fun to be around and super friendly. Um, I think that's why, you know, what endeared him to, to me and my family and I'm sure to yeah. everybody else in the industry that was lucky enough to know him. Um, yeah, absolutely. And again, I, I brought up the terra firma snowcross. That was pretty cool. That was uh, really sweet. I, I I laughed when you were when you mentioned that because uh-huh. it brought back some great memories. And you know, it's so funny that a lot of the things in terra firma like that uh, were so fresh at the time. Uh, it was really cool to to shoot and and edit and put that together. And, and it, it looks. Pretty- Looks pretty homemade now, which of course it was. But uh, the the pure, you gotta love the purity of that. that you know, the yeah. idea of just having fun. And, and it also struck me in in talking to these people about Donnie. He, you know, he was he he won nationals. He won a Supercross, a one twenty five Supercross championship. He won uh, Supercross races as a one twenty five rider, and just decided, you know, according to Mitch, according to Davey, he just didn't want to ride Supercross anymore. It was just too dangerous. So in eighty nine. Wearing Fox, he goes and hits the road as a full 125 outdoor privateer. And you think about, I guess, the balls it took uh, Pete to to say, like, I don't want to ride Supercross, despite being, you know, number nine overall ranked rider. So, uh, pretty cool. It's Yeah, it's very cool. And I think, you know, probably goes, again, to uh, say a lot about how much Donnie just loved riding a uh, dirt bike. You know, I'm not sure compared to other Maybe some other people, especially in more of the modern era, who maybe are pretty calculated about mm-hmm. uh, it as a career. I think for Donnie, it was just, uh, I just want to keep riding and racing as, you know, as long as I can, as long as I can be safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Um, you know, if he wasn't comfortable with Supercross, he shouldn't be, shouldn't have been doing it. Um, you know, I wasn't involved that very much. Uh, I didn't in talking with him around that decision. Um, mm-hmm. I think my brother probably was more, but uh, you got to respect it. Um, no, absolutely, for sure. It would it would be it would be so easy for a guy to just you know try to tough it out and do what he want. But um, also cool, you guys always put him in your catalogs. Always sort of highlighted him, whether he was on a Cowie's or Suzuki factory rider or even on that Honda. You know, you had Chicken, you had Bradshaw, you had the, you had these cool guys, RJ, and always Donnie Schmidt. To me, always stuck in there. You guys always put him in there. You always, I think, were really proud that he wore Fox. Very proud, um, proud of the association, and um, wanted to always help people like Donnie that um, we, that we felt were such a part of the lifeblood of the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, also, a big part of our marketing um, back then, and it continues, but uh, it was, you know, a big part of what we were doing from a marketing standpoint back then was uh, highlighting uh, and helping regional riders mm-hmm. uh, around around the country, around the world. Um, just it was part of our kind of grassroots the effort that we were that we were all about and building the brand. Uh, were you surprised when he won the world championships? Won a couple of them over there. Yeah, I, I mean, if anyone can do it, it would be him because he just put his head down and worked hard, um, and he could you know deal with I think the the challenges of being in different countries and always, uh, you know, having to, needing to move around as mm-hmm. an American living over there would be pretty tough. Um, but a guy like Donnie is, would, would, you know, probably have the best chance of, of uh, thriving over there. Um, you know, cause he was used to just cruising around in his van. When I think about Donnie and his career, I always just picture him like coming out of the back of his van, you know, just with a big <laughs> smile on his face. Yeah. Uh, and I never saw him in a bad mood, and I never saw him complain about stuff. I can't quite. I'm getting differing stories. In '89, he did it in a Nashville van. He did the Nationals in a Nashville van, and I can't figure out if it was Peyton's van or his own van. I'm getting different stories, but I don't know if yeah, you know. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know for sure. My mem- my my. If you asked me, I would have said, "Oh, I thought it was his van." But you know, I'm yeah. wouldn't surprise me if Mitch had something to do with it. Mitch always was helping the grassroots guys, yeah, uh, as well. But I, yeah, I keep thinking of Donnie coming out of that van. Was he? Uh, <laughs> you have any memories or funny stories about any catalog shoots or any 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 gear testing stuff or any any sort anything like that? Um, I can't just, you know, how the main thing would be that how fun that, uh, that shoot in Minnesota was right. uh, with the ice. But, uh, other than that, you know, when we did the photo shoots and stuff, we, we were, t- we took it fairly serious, you right. know, it wasn't deathly seriously, but, we, but we had a lot of fun. Um, well, hold on a second. It couldn't have been that serious. You got RJ to hold a pigeon at some point or a dove, a dove, I should say. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, whatever that little bird was. Whatever that um, thing was. <laughs> Yeah, what's funny about that one is uh, that whole photo shoot was so kind of spontaneous. There was one place, so it was in Northern California, there was one place that I had found that I I liked the backdrop. I thought this would be different for uh-huh. a photo shoot. And then um, 
I think my memory is that that bird, we found that bird that day, like it was, it had gotten loose or something. And <laughs> it was a super spontaneous shot of him with that bird. I mean, I never would have planned to like, hey, this will be cool. Let's shoot him with a bird. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we got to find a bird. We got to shoot it all. Uh, and finally, yeah. Pete, uh, where were you? What do you remember about when you heard he passed away? Uh, you know, pretty rare blood disease. And uh, right before Minneapolis Supercross in 1995, uh, what do you remember about hearing the news? Yeah, it was just shocking, uh, really sad, um, you know, very personal, the way that we all took it. Um, my family, everybody at Fox, we all felt like, you know, Donnie was such a close friend, part, kind of part of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you're aware, but the the Fox building, the first Fox building that uh, we built, that we owned, um, we named the Schmidt building and there's a plaque in front of it, um, dedicated to Donnie. Oh, I didn't know that. No. Um, yeah, yeah it's in Northern California. Uh, it kind of, I think shows how we felt about the guy. Um, it was just, it's just devastating. And, you know, something like that, you think if first thought is what, you know, you're very kind of motocross, uh, centric in your thought process, but, uh, Pretty quickly, it goes to just thinking about the fact that this great being is gone, and the effect that it has on you know, his wife at the time, um, and and his family, and just it gets very personal. Right? Yeah, it's. I mean, it'd be great to see Donnie. You know, yeah. and I'm sure he'd be thriving and whatever he's doing in his life these days. Yeah, he definitely he hung it up early. You know, he could have kept racing. He was. Mm-hmm. Frust- I talked to Bob Moore about it, and Bob's just like he got frustrated at being in Europe and he had injuries, and he came back. He was doing some four stroke races. He did the Terra Firma thing with you. He did uh, some couple rides for Yamaha or Honda of Troy back then. Like he was still. You know, very, very good on a motorcycle. Still trying to figure out his next uh, phase of life, but uh, you know, again, such a such a a, a rapid rise in America, and then a, a bold decision, and then another rise, and then probably pack it in a bit early, and then tragically passing away is all those things mm-hmm. apply to Donnie Schmidt. You know? Yeah, yeah. He he was the kind of person his outlook on life. I think he he just would have. He would have had a fun and successful life, uh, you know, mm-hmm. post motocross. He, he he would have been doing something he loved, you know, and sh- shedding, sharing his smile with people. It's really sad. Well, awesome. Hey, Pete, thank you for your time for uh, the Fly Racing Racer X podcast, uh, Donnie Schmidt Memories, presented by uh, the folks at A-Stars. Uh, thanks, Pete. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Next up for some uh, Donnie Schmidt memories is uh, another guy that knew him well, like Mitch Payton over at Pro Circuit, a big part of his effort in 1989 and over the years as well. Uh, It's Bones Bacon from Pro Circuit. What's up, Bones? How are you? Doing pretty good right now, Steve. I'm up here relaxing at our cabin up in the mountains and uh, sitting under a big pine tree. Just uh, figured I'd hitch you up because I was thinking about Donnie this weekend. Yeah. No, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, What do you remember? What, when's your first time you met him? What uh, did you do for him? Well, first real big memory I met him was uh, when he came to our shop. Um, I think maybe Mitch probably filled you in on all that stuff. But it was, uh, you know, him and Kari came and talking to Mitch about having us help him. And uh, that's, what, that's when I first met him. But uh-huh. shortly after that, it seemed like he instantly became a friend of mine. You know, it was just that kind of guy in general. But 
think in '89. Yeah, that's when I, that's when I first met him. Yeah, he uh, you know he left uh, he left Factory Suzuki. He didn't want to ride Supercross anymore, and he decided to go out on his own as a privateer. And uh, and you guys, I was telling Mitch like. It seemed like Pro Circuit was all over his bike back then, and uh, and he just didn't want to ride Supercross anymore. Yeah, for me, I mean, that's always been kind of a little bit of a uh, cool thing for me, and something a little different, you know, to like the challenge and just and Johnny made it so easy because he was such a nice guy to to, to work with him. You know, it was just uh, one of those deals where you know I I felt comfortable around him and Kari, and and uh, we. Went out testing a few times, and pretty easy to make them make them happy on the bike. And they were good bikes to begin with, also. But uh, mm-hmm. um, he was a great rider. We did some testing. If I remember right, he did some Golden State races as warm up stuff, and uh-huh. pretty good. And then uh, off to the races he went. And, and we helped him as well. I remember going to Hangtown the first year. We took our box truck up there. And, yeah. And uh, in '89 and. I had gotten. I was just talking to Mitch about this the other night. I said I, I had got busy during the day doing some stuff, and I helping somebody. I forget what it was, but I had I had come and and I knew the moto was going on, and uh-huh. I was panicking to finish up what I was doing. And <laughs> I finally I got back to the box truck, and he was pitted out of my box truck. Okay. And uh, the moto was just about over, and then I'm running back to the box truck, and all of a sudden I see him riding up, throws his bike up on the stand, it was under the awning outside the box truck, and I go. Dude, what's going on? I, yeah. Oh, nothing. Are you, is the motor over? He goes, yeah. How'd you do? I won. Just <laughs> casual as that. I'm like, no way. That's awesome. Right. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, well, it's a full privateer. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, how do you remember him? How do you remember him as a test rider? Do you remember any specific? Was he good? Was did he not care? Was he easy to work for? He was pretty good. He wasn't super picky like some of the guys, but yeah. No, as long as. It, it, as memory serves me, just making them comfortable and and uh, and the, like I said before, those bikes were pretty good. To right. With. Yeah. Uh, making them comfortable and and uh, just so he could do his thing on the bike was was the biggest thing. So uh-huh. and I was still a little green back then as well. So it, it was uh, yeah. It wasn't that difficult to to make them comfortable. And then I remember later that year I had to go back to uh, or he had asked Mitch if I if I could go back to. Uh, Minnesota before that race because it was obviously a hometown important to him. Yeah, uh, do a little bit of testing and uh, make sure he was comfortable and everything. So Mitch sent, Mitch sent me back there, and I get all the way back there and goes, "Oh, hey, I forgot to tell you, I, I lost a ton of weight. I, lo- I lost like ten, fifteen pounds." I'm like, <laughs> really important information for a suspension guy. <laughs> yes, yes. I said I could have come way better prepared if you had told me that ahead of time, but we still. Uh, I think even Jim Anderson back then worked a show at the time, and yeah. he came out, uh, had him try some upside down forks at the time, and we worked together and got him got him pretty dialed for the race. But I just remember him being so nervous before that race. I felt so bad for him. Yeah, I forget how he did. I think well, he, he got sixth overall, which is which is surprising. Something yeah. must have happened in one moto or something because he's better than yeah. you know he won Millville I think twice uh, on a Suzuki. Yeah. So something happened. You know, they don't have moto results, but he got sixth overall. So, I just remember being so nervous. It was like he came back on the back of the parade lap, freaking out uh, for one of the motos. Thought his clutch was slipping, and I remember uh, Roger DeCoster was there, and he and he he went up. What's wrong? What's wrong? He says his clutch is slipping. Oh, maybe. And Roger actually helped me uh, in his mechanic work on the bike a little bit before the 
before the drop of the gate. Oh, really? Uh, maybe too much oil in it or something. I, I don't remember the specifics. Yeah, I remember yeah. Rod jumping in and helping us, and I thought that was pretty cool. But uh, for, for whatever reason, he was just extremely nervous. And I'd never seen him like that before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and he was out of an Astro van for most of the year, privateering it, oh, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, I, and we we stayed at his dad's house there. Uh-huh. That was one thing I do remember. We stayed at his dad's house, and uh, his dad had this pond out behind his house. And, okay. like You could see it from the back deck of his dad's house. You could see this pond. It was cattails all around it. And Phil Lawrence was staying there, too. I remember Phil and I looking, and I go, hey, dude, there's a, there's a canoe down there. <laughs> if we can get out, ask Donnie if we can get out of that canoe and go out on the lake. Donnie goes, yeah, knock yourself out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so Phil and I went down, and we trampled these cattails down so we could get to the canoe. We're kind of floating on cattails, and we hop in the canoe. Phil and I go out in this miniature lake, big pond, uh-huh. and I had never, and I'm pretty sure Phil had neither, never been in a canoe before. <laughs> and we're trying to paddle around this freaking pond, and all of a sudden, and we're, we're not going anywhere. We don't know how to do this. We're, right. It, it was pathetic. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm like looking at Bill, and I'm like, "Well, what is in the water here? What what are those things?" And uh, they ended up being snapping turtles, filled with snapping turtles. <laughs> and we were freaking out. And all of a sudden, we hear this laughing, like hysterical laughing. And we look back up on the porch, and Donnie is watching the whole time. Just and he set us up for this whole thing. Yeah, he's laughing his ass off on it. And we can't even maneuver around. We can't figure out how to paddle in unison and or anything. <laughs> then we. We get this bright idea that we're going to have to switch places. And so we stand up in this canoe, and we almost both went in, and we can switch places, which didn't help at all. Finally, we made our way back to the back to the cattail landing and got out of the thing. But all I remember is Donnie was in tears. He was laughing so hard. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. The uh, the bike that year, he never tried upside-down forks, I don't think. I think the factory guys had them, and I know he was getting some help, you know, from Roger uh, as a privateer, but he always had the conventionals on all year. Correct. He, he did try them because uh, Jim Anderson was nice, nice enough to bring them out yeah. uh, that one day for him to try them. And, and um, looking back, we still get those forks that come in our shop, the 89 yeah. bikes. People are so into vintage stuff now, and they were honestly the worst sports ever played. <laughs> uh, surprising that well, he didn't. Well. Surprising that he didn't want to try the upside downs or like them. Not try them, but like them. Yeah, you well, know? it's 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 they they were really bad. Um, and and uh, Joe wanted to help him out, and, and that's what they had available to, to help him with, and and uh, he just felt a little more comfortable yeah. with the conventionals, probably only because that's what he'd been riding with all sure. along, and yeah. You know, a lot of seat pipe with it, but I just remember those forks were bad in stock form. The had a little oil lock cone inside them on the cartridge cylinder, and the springs, the end of the spring coil where the, where the coil was cut off, had like a lathe bit on the inside of it that uh-huh. used to scar that thing and fill the inside with metal shavings. Just aluminum shavings everywhere. Just yeah, uh, it, it was it, it was uh, no, they, these were metal shavings. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he uh, uh, it was bad. He did. He, he did well that year, fourth overall uh, as a, out of the Astro, out of the Astro van. Mitch, Mitch, by the way, big fan of the Astro van, so he had oh, no yeah. he had no problem with that. But uh, <laughs> uh, a really good uh, a season for him as a privateer, and really pro circuit. You guys, uh, big part of that. You know what I mean throughout the whole year. So, um, well, yeah. As far as as far as I remember, I mean, first of all, like I said before, he was just a joy to work with. He yep. instantly became a friend of mine, 
and he was so gracious. Steve. He he would. I still got at my house uh, at the end of the year. He was on the cover of one of the magazines. Uh-huh. Cut it out. Him and Kari cut it out. Put it in a frame. Custom the. I mean, custom the frame. Did it all themselves. Like put a little note in there. Oh, awesome. Under glass. Yeah. Still got it at my house, hanging on the wall. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. Little things like that that just nobody else yeah. has ever done. Just to go out of their way to show their true appreciation of what you, you know, of what you've done for him, you yeah. know. And yeah. that, that was that was just right after the season. That was before he got the Europe calls and everything. It yeah. was just straight out of his heart, you know. It was. Oh, that's uh, awesome. yeah, that's really nice. So you must have been stoked to see him go on and win a couple world championships. Like that was oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah, he came back after one of the, I think maybe the first one of the years. Mm-hmm. Five, he came back and uh, wanted to do some Golden States or Transcal or something, or maybe just some local races. Yeah. I don't remember, but he had an eighty-five RM two fifty that we helped him with <laughs> as a warm-up thing. And I remember going to might have been at Transcal or Golden State at. Uh, L.A. County Raceway, and he uh-huh. won, and we just had so much fun. Oh. It, was, it was cool. Um, yeah, no, no, he sounds like a great guy. Where were you? What do you remember about hearing him uh, that he passed away? And it was right before Minneapolis Supercross. Do you remember that? Yeah, that one's that one's never going to leave my memory. Uh, yeah. That one, we went there. We just flew in, Mitch and myself, and all the mechanics got together and went across the street somewhere to get something to eat, and we're all sitting there. And I was just talking to Mitch about this the other night. I said, I, I can remember sitting there and hearing Mitch, and I believe it was Kenny Germain, talking. And I was just sitting catty corner across the table, and I just, I think Kenny said, dude, that's such a bummer about Donnie. And Mitch goes, yeah, it is. I'm like, what are you, what are you guys talking about? Like, I didn't know. It happened like that day or the day before, maybe. And, uh, and Mitch goes, oh, come here for a second. <laughs> and, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, he thought I knew. And, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty pretty much a shocker. And then we got to the stadium, and they had a big deal for him. And I remember going down and kind of hanging out with Jeff Stanton a little bit down, down yeah. in the infield. Kind of did a little little something for him down there. And yeah. Kind of cool. And then the next day, I um, changed my flights, went, went to the funeral and whatnot. But yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a shock for sure. It was amazing, yeah. you know. Guy, guy. Yeah, it's different, I guess. If you, it still sucks no matter what. But it's yeah. different, you know. If you kind of see it coming a little bit, or if, yeah, whatever. But it yeah. was I had no clue, so it was, uh, yeah, it was a rough one. But. No, I, I, I agree. It was, uh, it was a shock to us. I was, I've told a few people on the podcast, like being from Manitoba, it's not far from Minnesota. Uh, I saw him ride at a local arena cross back in the day, and. He seemed like he was not Canadian and not, but kind of like a guy like one of our pros, you know, because there's so much snow and he made it big and he was the first guy from Minnesota to really, you know, really kill it in a sport. And I don't know, I always felt like a, a little attached to him a little bit, you know, even though I never met him. Uh, well, I met him briefly. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I met him briefly at, at this little arena cross. Just spoke to him for like two he, seconds. He but. would have been one of your friends had you met him. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and really cool, eclectic, great career. Supercross champion in 125s, you know, on a Cowie, and then, uh, um, you know, world champion later on. So, uh, Bones, thank you. Uh, thanks for the memories, man. Those are really good, and, and I'm glad you got to know him and work with him. And, and uh, that's cool. You still have that that, that cover, that magazine. And everything. Yeah, he, was, cool. he, was, uh, he was he was a genuine guy. There was, we, real quick, I know you're trying to. No, no, go ahead. He was, he, he was, we went back, I think it was the same year we went back for the 
for the race, Minnesota, to help him. And we finally went to the race. We were at the motel the mm-hmm. night before, and I had my own room. But I was hanging out with him and Kari in his room for a little bit. It was getting late at night, and and the fans were roaming around in the parking lot because they knew some motocross racers were still there. And he mm-hmm. was ready to go to bed, and he heard. Uh, I don't know what he, I forget exactly what he heard, but he heard something outside, and I knew I knew he was trying to get some sleep. And uh, so he peeked his head out the door, and the, someone said, oh, Tony Schmidt. <laughs> and he, he took the time, I mean, he could have easily just, hey, how you guys doing, and shut the door. Yeah. Or he could have easily said, hey, I need to get some sleep, you know, we'll see you guys tomorrow, thanks for, right. or whatever, but he went outside the door, sat down on the sidewalk, and just signed autographs. Oh, really? Oh, cool. Good night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I just remember looking at this, I go, he's for sure he's going to shut the door and go back to sleep, and then I'm going to leave and go to sleep. But he just, and then I finally went to sleep, he was still signing autographs. Oh. Pretty genuine guy. Yeah, yeah, I know. He seemed like it for sure. Um, awesome, man. Thank you for the memories. Appreciate it. Uh, one of these times, you'll uh, you'll do one of these with me, uh, talking about yourself, but maybe not. Who knows? <laughs> there you go. All right. Um, you, bud. Thanks. Th- thanks, Bones. All right, and for the final uh, memories of Donnie Schmidt, uh, I really appreciate everybody listening to this so far. Uh, Fly Racing Racer X podcast presented by the Alpine Star Protects People. The final uh, guy that I wanted to call up and talk to Donnie is somebody I don't know at all. I've never met, certainly read his name in the magazines growing up, saw his photo uh, in magazines, and uh, he uh, worked with Donnie for two years at Suzuki, winning races uh, uh, indoors and out. It's a former factory Suzuki mechanic, Jeff Clark. Jeff, how are you? Thank you for doing this. Hey, you know, I'm doing great, and you know, thanks for the opportunity to talk about Donnie. He was, he was a great guy. Um, yeah, he seemed like a really great guy. Me from Manitoba, him from Minnesota, I felt a little bit of a bond from him growing up just because, you know, he had to deal with the snow and cold and still made it in the sport, you know what I mean? But um, right. your first memories of, of working with Donnie, and did, did I would guess it was uh, Pat Alexander, uh, did he just say, hey, you've got this kid from Minnesota, you're now going to be his mechanic? That was essentially it. It's like you, I was, I was the guy. The new guy comes in. Let's 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 work with the, okay. let's work with them and bring them on the team and kind of show them the ropes and how everything works. Mm-hmm. Uh, so memories off him right off the bat when you met him. You know when I met him, it was uh, you know the, my 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 main memory that I have with him was we had a couple of young boys at the time and he was really really great with small children and was just had the best personality. It probably came from his family. You know, we mm-hmm. met his family at one point, and the whole family was, they were they were great. They were very nice people, very genuine, and he was as well. And how was he to work for as a, as a mechanic? Um, you know, before we hit record, we talked about guys, different riders or different things. I was a mechanic for a long time. How was he as a mechanic, as a, as a rider? To, uh, to you work know, for? He, he was relatively easy to work for. Mm-hmm. He, he, knew, he, he knew what he wanted. So it was, you know, this is what I want. So we could make it exactly how we wanted. So that made that portion easy. Um, we made some changes here and there just to to tweak things around. But ultimately, he had a good eye, had a good mind for what it was he was looking for. Mm-hmm. So it was fairly easy to get to. You know, we'd point out things that were happening when we'd see it's like, hey, it looks like it's doing X, Y, or Z when you're riding. It's like, okay, that's what I'm feeling. Okay, let's make that stop. Mm-hmm. And then we would do that. So it'd be kind of a collaboration of he knew what he wanted. We saw what was happening, talk about it, and then make the changes. 
Um, and and obviously at this time, for people who don't know, he's coming off a Supercross title indoors, 125s, and he's basically going to be, you know, he's on his kind of on his path to being, you know, maybe one of the next really great riders in the sport. Um, but as some people have told us in this show, Jeff, he just didn't like Supercross. Did you get a sense of that? You know what? It was probably ultimately. I think the, the the memory that comes back to me, and like we talked about earlier, it's been a while. Mm-hmm. It probably had to do in Supercross with the ruts, because uh-huh. he, you know, he ha- he had a problem with uh, with catching his catching his foot, yeah, and twisting his ankles, and it was something he ultimately overcame. Maybe he had to, he had to change up his riding style, or he was holding his toes on the pegs. Mm-hmm. But he seemed like you know the couple of years he was with Suzuki. He had hurt ankles a lot. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and did he ever just tell you, hey, Jeff, can you make this Suzuki 125 into a Honda? And I'd do much better. <laughs> <laughs> well, at that point, he hadn't ridden a Honda, so he <laughs> right. wouldn't know if that was good or not. Right, I know. They were so much better back then, though, you know. Um, well, they, they, did have, they did have some spaceships. Yeah, no, absolutely. After, after the, you know, the couple of years Suzuki had of really, really good bikes, they came out with just... I, I referred to them as starships at the time. Yeah. Their factory bikes were unbelievable. Uh, also, too, people may not know, uh, you know, Peyton talked, Mitch Payton talked about how he just didn't want to ride Supercross after riding a Honda 250 uh, at the start of 89. Well, you had him for a, four, for a few 250 Supercrosses, Jeff, and he got fourth at Tampa in one of them. You know, this is he RJ and, and Wardy and all those guys. So, I mean, more right. than legit. Yeah, he, you know, I, I never got the sense that he didn't like Supercross. You know, maybe that was someone pressing him or his innermost thoughts on, uh-huh. on you know on, on Supercross. He, he did he did excel outdoors. So and it could be maybe just as simple as that. He did well outdoors, so it's like mm-hmm. I like outdoors. <laughs> right. I didn't do as well, or I didn't reach the expectations that I I had for myself for Supercross. So, oh, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe just be as easy as that. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you won Millville in 87, of course, a huge race for him. Uh, what do you remember about that day? He must have been so happy. Oh, he was happy because, he, again, the whole family, the whole crew, yeah. all the friends from the whole area, it was kind of like his hometown. I'm not sure if it was his hometown track, but essentially I think yeah. any track in, in Minnesota would be his hometown track. and. He knew he was he was he was riding in front of his in front of his friends, and mm-hmm. it was it was a, a very exciting day for him. It uh, was great as a mechanic too. Uh, I know this feeling. A lot of pressure on you, family, friends, all looking at you. Make sure that bike stays together. <laughs> yeah, we had we had pretty we had we were pretty fortunate in those years. Suzuki made great bikes, and mm-hmm. we all took the time to you know everybody took the time to make sure that they finished the races. Uh, these are all the, the brands, all the mechanics. This is the uh, box van days for people who may not know. Uh, and I, I've driven to the few years of doing box van duty. Did he ever? Did he hang back with you and ride during the weeks and all that kind of stuff? Like a lot of guys. Sometimes, did? yeah, yeah. It was it was more often. It was more often the beginning of the year mm-hmm. when when we're getting things going. Then it would be the middle of the year when we were when we're in Midwest. Okay. When yep. it was kind of yep. the when it's if again the memory when it was the the edges you know flying to you know the East Coast Florida anywhere down in there he'd fly sure West Coast he'd fly but when we're kind of in that mid you no know, the mid range the middle of the country he'd hang around especially when we're in um, up in his zone because we'd try to make the trip to go up there and again see the family and yep. take the bike out to his local wherever practice area and let him ride it there as well. This is the days of mechanics. Uh, he would ride the race bike because that's all you had, and then you'd have to go right through the race bike to get it ready for the race. 
Right, right. We get to work on them twice. Yeah, exactly right. Um, <laughs> Each I, week, everybody I've spoken to that that knew him well, Bobby Moore lived with him, and and uh, Pete Fox and Mitch, they all talked about how disciplined he was in his eating and training. Uh, do you remember any of that? Well, it he was disciplined, but it, it didn't seem out of line. It didn't okay. seem like extraordinary at the time because, mm-hmm. like several of the riders that I had had previously. Were, were were similar. Okay. They're very dedicated to the training, you know, not to talk about other guys, but like with Mark Barnett, he was one of the early pioneers of rugged kind of training and kind of started with that. And they, all these other guys that followed after some of these earlier riders kind of just fell in line with that. Sure. Work hard, train hard. It's a job. It's not just a fun thing. And those riders did well. Mm-hmm. They did well. Did you and Donnie, uh, what did you guys do for fun? Did you have any fun moments? I heard he was kind of a prankster guy. You know, it always seemed, it was, it was more work. Yeah. Kind of just work and go. Riding was fun for us at the time. I'd go out, you know, we had backup bikes, so I'd go out and ride as well. So riding was, riding was fun. Mm-hmm. That was kind of our fun. Yeah. Uh, oh, would you ride too? I would. Oh, yeah? Okay. <laughs> it's always fun, right? The mechanic and the rider. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> trying, to exactly. Stay, trying to stay together. Um, yeah, I just cut the track to stay up with him. Yeah, really, right? Um, when he left Suzuki, uh, what was the deal with that? Now, we talked You know, I talked to some people who said, you know, you don't want to ride Supercross anymore. And I don't know if that's what he told Pat and everybody at Suzuki. And they said, well, we have no ride. Or were there cutbacks at Suzuki? Were you surprised to see him him let go? I mean, he was a he was a total privateer in '89. He was a surprise, you know. I'm, I'm not sure what he said to what, what he said yep. to the company. I, I wasn't privy to it. He didn't share it. He didn't share it probably because he didn't want. If there were any reasons, he didn't want anybody to know. It was just a it kind of was a shock. It's like. Oh wow, Donnie's not on the team. Yeah, I mean, cause and with just no explanation, there was no explanation. It's interesting because you look at the obviously um, um, Keyhill was there, and there was a full team, a lot of guys. But you mm-hmm. look at Donnie's results, and you're like, "There's no reason not to keep this kid." You know what I mean? National winner and Supercross indoor Supercross winner, and and you think that everything's looking good, and then for Suzuki to drop him was strange. Looking back at it. So. Yeah, and at this point, at this point, I, I don't remember who right. who came in after him. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe it was a matter of it was X number of dollars, and sure. gee, we can get three more kids that we'll see what they do for mm-hmm. the dollars we're spending for him. Yeah, that really was a Suzuki thing, right? Grab a bunch of kids, pay them a little bit of money, and sort them out, right? Right, right, and see where they go. And, and like I said initially, mm-hmm. it, Donnie Donnie hurt his ankles a lot. And okay. Maybe, Maybe that was a clue to the company that wow, this guy's going to be hurt, and it was only for a period. You know, it was only for that short period of time, mm-hmm. and maybe it was something that had to do with the Suzuki that, that he was riding. Right. Um, you know, I know ultimately they've they've all gone to you know bigger pegs and yeah. doing different things, and sure. maybe it was just the the moment something happened and you hurt yourself, and then it always seems like. You, that that foot that ankle gets gets right. tweaked again, no matter when you try to protect it or not. Who'd you work for in '89? Do you remember? <clears throat> Might have been <clears throat> uh, Tishner was on the team. Kehoe was on the team. Um, I, I went through. It's almost it, you know. I, I, at one point, I, I worked for most all of them. <laughs> I worked for Kehoe for a time. Yeah, yeah. I worked for Jimmy Gaddis. Oh, Gaddis. Yeah. I worked for Tishner. Mm-hmm. There was, they're just, I was the rotating guy. It's sure. The new kid, the, you know, the young guys come in. I guess I was the dad. You know, yeah. The wife and, and boys and the new guy comes in and they just fit right in with the family. Driving around in our box fan. 
Um, did you get along with him in 89 and all that and, and everything, like the next year? No, absolutely. Yep, yep absolutely. no problems. Uh, what about winning world championships? You must have been, I mean, obviously it's you know it's years later and he's a different guy, but you had to have been happy for him to, to have some success. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, absolutely. There'd be, there's no reason to have any animosity that he went off and did bigger and greater things. That's, that was fantastic. Um, what do you remember about when you heard he passed away and it was pretty sudden? That was sad. Yeah. It was very sad. At this moment, I, I, don't, I don't remember specifically what it was. I don't remember if it was an injury or if it was something internal. Yeah. Do you, uh, yeah, do you was, have the yeah, details had, on that? Yeah, he had a, he had a, a, disease, a blood disease and uh, okay. an aneurysm. So um, he was back in the U.S. and kind of just, you know, still looking for, you know, still riding really well and kind of looking for his next step in life, you know. So mm-hmm. it's pretty sudden. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, I'm sure that had to be hard on the family. Yeah. That no, had to be had to be tough. Absolutely. Um, let's let's talk about Bomber a little bit if you got a little bit of time. Um, okay. One of the greatest riders of all time and uh, a guy that I've interviewed a few times and he is as unassuming as they come the bomber is isn't he mm-hmm. uh i couldn't mm-hmm. i could barely get him to talk about his own career and meanwhile oh, he was one of the greatest you know my 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 best recollection of him and i'm thinking i'm trying to remember here mm-hmm. it was in 1981 and we were in um in binghamton i think it was binghamton new york mm-hmm. binghamton yeah binghamton new york and it was the year that Suzuki had, Suzuki had the had the spaceships. Yeah. He had a 125 Suzuki, and I believe it weighed 176, 78 pounds. Mm-hmm. So, like you're riding at 10 speed with yeah. with big power. Right. And he, they have a concrete starting gate, and he spun big time off the line. He was last place going around the first turn. Mm-hmm. Last. Yeah. And before he came down, when he came down the, the big downhill on the first lap, he was in first place. Jeez. <laughs> he went from last to first place in a half a, you know, yeah. it's a half a lap, yeah. two-thirds of a lap. Yeah, probably about three, about three quarters, I think, on that point. Is that about yeah. what that is? Yeah. Like, we never got, I never walked back to see the right. side of that track. Yeah, yeah. he came down that downhill right. in first place and not even looked like it was close and he was having to pass anybody. He'd already passed everybody and he was free and clear Jeez. flying down the hill. That was an unbelievable day. That was, that was unbelievable. That was so, so great. Are the stories true about all the all the Suzuki's out of gas in Alabama, leaned up against trees everywhere? No, they were in the shed. Okay. And Suzuki would send them. You know what would have probably worked out really good would have been to have like almost a, a full time or a part time mechanic for him. For sure, he would right? ride his bike so much <laughs> and so hard. He had half a dozen of them at least or more in the in one of the outhouses. <laughs> outhouse being a a building, yeah, out, yeah, not 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 an outhouse, out right? Right, out in the shed, we'll say it that way. And he would just ride them, and he, yeah, they they would get worn out. Oh, I he bet. would wear them out. I would bet. And uh, also, when you were pouring gas in the airbox of those factory Suzukis, were you ever thinking it was a bad idea? Oh, you mean, well, you mean where an airbox normally was? Yeah, the works bikes in '83, I think it was. Well, that, yeah. that was that that could have been a really good idea. Okay. The the problem was is he practiced all week long on his production Suzuki with the gas tank between his legs, oh, okay. and you get used to flying sure. it right with the weight all position there. Yeah. And then he'd show up 
back, you know, he'd show up for the weekend to race this this new idea of a bike with the airbox between your legs and the gas tag under your seat. Uh-huh. And it's like it's it's how it's completely different. Your yeah. center of gravity is different, your balance points are different, and now you're expected to go unbelievably fast and jump really far and do all these kind of things. Yeah. And it's like you've you've never ridden the bike until you show up for the weekend. Yeah. No, I can imagine. So how had different. they you know, right. the smart thing to do, you know, in hindsight would have been let's get him one of those, even if it's a beater. Yeah. And and let him ride that all week long before he shows up to to ride this thing on the weekends. Right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, nowadays, that would never happen. You know? Everybody thought, oh, geez, oh, must be bad. Look, they can't do anything on these. Well, yeah. okay, let's practice on a in a Volkswagen and then go get <laughs> a, into a Formula One car on race day. Yeah. No. Mm, gee, how come I'm overshooting the turns? Hmm. Yeah. That, 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 yeah, and at some point, you guys switched back to just the production bike. He must have just been like, I can't do it. Well, they weren't yeah. production bikes. They, they switched over to the production style yeah. works bikes. Right, right. Yeah, production, yeah. Uh, yeah. Gas, gas tank. tank between your legs style bikes. Right, right, exactly. And also, too, uh, motocross uh, lore, uh, Carmichael Stewart, the only guys with perfect seasons in motocross. Well, Barnett was close. Without a broken collarbone, he would have done it in 81, right? Yeah, that was, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah ultimately, you would say he probably would have won Carl's Bad Given. He won every single moto that year. Yeah. He lapped everybody. I, th- I believe he lapped everybody in the Trophy of the Nation. No, not the Trophy of the Nations. The GP mm-hmm. there in Ohio. Yeah. He won those as well. He won all the Florida races. That was his year too. Yeah. So. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Uh, well, cool, Jeff. Uh, thank you for the time. I really appreciate it. Uh, we've been I've been pestering you for for a week or so, and I greatly appreciate it. Uh, I think it gives everybody a little bit better memory of Donnie and all that he went through. And from a guy, you were there when he was, you know, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, or whatever. How right. old? Or, he was a young guy. He was absolutely, and you guys had a lot of success. and uh, And thanks for your time, man. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as... The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. it was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Sorbic is that he never said sorry. Because Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunis. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart... There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And Magoo was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? And and he's got the thing. He's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone... Even harder, jump farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't have been there. The Hurricane, Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think yeah. he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Holland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? Right. They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days. They're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home, and once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. 
The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse, I mean, you know, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Go Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I had pulled pick and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could, you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it, you just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in, I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes Store to enjoy these and over 800 great motocross podcasts. As the days and the months and the years go.